Hey all, Pastor Hamill here with another episode of Sweet Jesus Taste and See That the Lord is Good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far sweeter, and uh, there's all kinds of other sweet things in life we were just talking about, praying about, and um, the Bible is also pretty sweet, in part, in large part, really, because it points us to Jesus. That's right. And we are still talking about the Bible. We've gone through a number of different things uh, we could probably talk about the Bible for a really, really, really long time. It's kind of what we're here for, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll get into more specifics of the Bible as we move on, but there are a lot of things that we got to deal with before you even get to the Bible. Uh, I'm actually preaching about this on Sunday yeah. a little bit, that you can pretty much make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Oh, absolutely. Right? There are people that have used the Bible to justify uh, so many different things. Oh, yeah. And, and not just the Bible. You know, you, you you watch something, you read something, you watch a news conference or something, and, and you come away thinking, well, this is what I just heard. This is what I just saw. And then you bump into somebody else. And, oh, did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what happened. And you're like, what? That is not at all what happened. Uh, we can actually say the same seven words, and they can mean completely different things sure. based on you know what you emphasize. There's uh, I, I heard this done a number of years ago. I often come back to it. I didn't say she stole the money. That's right. I've seen that one. Yeah. I didn't say she stole the money. I didn't say she stole the money. I didn't, I didn't say. say she stole the money. I didn't 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 say she stole the money. Yeah. And each one of those different means something sentences. completely Everyone. different. Yeah. Right? So so if we're going to look at the Bible, yeah. we got to kind of figure out, well, what is it that we're going to find there? Right. How should we understand it? Are there things that we can come away from reading the Bible with that uh, that that are better <laughs> than other things we can come away from uh, reading the Bible. Sure. Right. So I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of folks. But why don't you start us off, get us started, yeah, lead sure. us down. Well, and, and I'm glad you, you, you kind of framed it that way. You know, up until this point in our discussion about the Bible, we, we've been discussing the structure and mechanics of it uh, a great deal, you know, but um, really what people want to know when it comes to the Bible is what do I do with this thing? How do I open it up and read it, you know? Um, So we have some great uh, tools and resources for, you know, uh, or I call them lenses, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that we can look through to examine what the Bible says, and kind of make some sense of it and see how God is speaking to us and what what he's trying to tell us. Um, and since we started this, I've been, I've had this ongoing metaphor. Put me under the microscope. Yeah, let's do Go it. Go for it. Um, well, for, you know, we're trying to grasp the nature and purpose of the Bible and how God is revealing himself. So it's about getting to know someone, getting to know the truth of them. And I'm just using you as a metaphor for that. You know, how do we get to know a person? How do we get to understand their truth and their reality? Um, so I like this metaphor, and it's, it seems to be working and continuing with that. I, just to kind of set this up, I'm kind of curious to know about the relationship very specific people have with you, Pastor Amel, and 
how that relationship is going to um, give in some insight into understanding the defining lines of our relationship with God. So let's let's focus in on your kids. How would your children describe their relationship with you? <laughs> well, I hope in uh, mostly positive ways, but yeah. not always. Not always. Why not? Well, because it's my job to help raise them right. Mm. You know, it's it's my job to, for their own sake and for the sake of, you know, the s- larger society, that they're not <laughs> drains on society. <laughs> they're not uh, troublemakers. They're contributors. Uh, they are disciples of Jesus who love and serve their neighbor through whatever vocations to use a whole bunch of Lutheran sure. buzzwords that maybe most people have no idea what I'm saying. Sure. But to to help them recognize that God has put them here for a purpose and equip them basically for those purposes, but also not just primarily those things, uh, but that, uh, you know, God loves them mm. and that they are to love as much as uh, that's part of what the whole serving thing. And so just sort of stepping back and looking at it broadly, you could say your role in their life is to establish for them and to help them establish in some point uh, lines and boundaries for their lives. Yeah. Uh, so to, to help them see their place in the world and their place in relationship with you. Now, this is very unique relationship that you have with your children. You don't necessarily have that relationship with other people. No. You know, uh, with your friends, your congregation members, even your wife, me, other people, you, other people have taken that role in their lives. So that is not so. Your fatherly role for them is very much uh, centered around, and of course, their mother as well, um, establishing these these boundaries, these parameters for their lives. You know, um, <laughs> I asked how your kids would describe you, and it's and it's kind of tough. I mean, looking back, you know, when we were kids, thinking about our parents who were performing that role for us, sometimes it was not pleasant. You know, we don't. <laughs> You know, as kids, no. we're, we, we are developing a sense of ourselves, and so we, um, we want to test those boundaries. You know, we want to try to figure out who we are kind of on our own. You can't define me, right? We went through a whole discussion on that with, with our uh, Tim Keller um, videos. So this, I, I, I like bringing this up because this relationship between parent and child is a very useful description for how the nature of God's relationship with his created world, you know, and it's obviously us people, but the world in general, you know, is God's child. It is his creation. Um, And if we think about it in those terms, we don't have any trouble accepting that a parent has an obligation to give these boundaries and this sense of purpose, what you described as well, that was really good, uh, and order to a child's life by establishing those boundaries. This is, as you said, kind of the loving thing to do because it teaches the child how to understand their place in the world, have healthy relationships with you and other people and other authorities and everyone they'll ever meet. Um, 
Now, we, as I said, we also know that kids are going to kind of push back on that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're testing boundaries. They're trying to figure out who they are. They also just forget, you know. Uh, a certain number of things that I've told my children, I, I, I don't know how many times <laughs> over the years, and I, I'm at a point now where it's like, well, maybe I just give up, you know. I don't know because um, it's not sinking in. Um, well, it, I think it actually sinks in more than we think. It's I'm sure, but but it takes them hearing it other places or seeing it at work in real life, or, yeah, or at least coming close to the consequences for not accepting there it. There you go. So they may not actually ignore it, but they'll get to a place where they sort of drift enough away from what you said that they they experience or they see someone else experience what it's like to ignore that idea. And they go, oh, that's why they said there that. There you go. I'll probably never admit that to their face, but. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I've had that conversation with myself many times. Yeah, you know, exactly. So we about, are not just parents. We are children. Children, that's right. Also. So, um, so you know, how do we think about this when it comes to our relationship with God and then understanding how God has revealed his relationship to us? Um as a parent, a creator, God has the opportunity and the responsibility even to guide and instruct and correct. Um, and, and it's a tremendous gift, you know, that he has for us, that he gives us these boundaries that protect our lives in so many different ways. It's, it, it teaches us to understand our place with him and how to value others and treat others with the same compassion that we've received. So um, kind of wanted to start talking about, you know, God's boundaries today. Um, you know, this is something that uh, people often wrestle with when it comes to the Bible. You know, they open it up. And something before we uh, went on the air, you mentioned, you know, we were talking about this and you said something about these 600-some-odd Laws and rules that, something, that governed something. life for God's people that really didn't come from God. You know, it was sort of the expansion pack <laughs> of God's boundaries. <laughs> expansion pack. Um, yes. that, that, you know, that other people I, often, I think, with good intentions, tried to help guide people's lives, that it just kind of got out of control in ways. Well, the idea, I think, with a lot of those was that, okay, well, if this is the line— yeah. We we want to create these boundaries around the boundary yes. to make sure that we never cross the actual boundary. That's right. We don't even want to get close. Yeah. Yeah. That and that's that's very true, you know. Um but it's also true that in in the Bible, in many places throughout the Bible, we find God doing this. We find God setting these boundaries to protect his people or some specific aspect of their lives, or their relationships. And and it begins with, you know, the first moments of creation, you know, in the Bible. We read in Genesis how God created this amazing world and this incredible place, this garden, you know, with all the resources man could ever need there. Mm. And he creates man and he puts man in the garden and he says, look at everything I've made for you. This is all for you. This is, this, this is yours. Except that. Over there, that thing would be harmful to you. Mm-hmm. So keep a distance. That's a boundary. That's a parameter for your life. Yeah. Um, and then, 
on and on throughout that, you know. Um, and eventually what we get to um, is something else that you and I were talking about earlier, the, the sort of summation of God's boundaries for our lives and for our relationships, how he teaches us to love him and love one another, uh, is what we commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. You know, this is, uh, historically it takes place far after the be- the beginning and the creation of man, um, but it, it sort of comes at the right time when God's people are about to start a new life as a nation, as a chosen people uh, with a very specific kind of relationship with God and a very specific purpose in this world. And so mm-hmm. God prepares them for that with these boundaries. He gives them these commandments. Um, we were joking around earlier about how many there are. You know, people number them differently depending on sometimes what kind of church you go to or who you talk to. Yeah. But the content is always essentially the same, and the main ideas are there. And that's something later on we'll explore. Into the yeah, we'll explore that, yeah. a little bit. Um, but the important thing to know is that each one individually protects a kind of relationship that we have. And it does so in a way that guards how we interact with God and with one another. Um, And these commandments, they have, as we said, influenced a lot of other instructions and demands that we find in the Bible, sometimes for the better, sometimes not. They're really commonly thought of as the ultimate summary of God's law. So when we use the word law, uh, which is kind of the focus I wanted to talk about today, I always encourage people, the first image that should pop into your head is uh, Moses, you know, Charlton Heston coming down the mountain, or, you know. Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, you know, whichever 15. version. <laughs> Ten. Ten. That <laughs> <laughs> eh, never gets old. Um, yeah, whichever version suits your palate. Um, but this this image of these tablets, you know, with these commandments written on them, it's a handy visual to have because it reminds us of the um, – solidity of of these commandments and their place in our lives. Um, You know, we refer to God's law, so we we generally we're talking about his Ten Commandments, but there's other, of course, instructions or guidance that God provides for our lives. Um, We, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, Jesus sort of summation of the law. He brings it kind of down to two main ideas. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a good summary of you know, the laws of Moses, you know. So um, the law describes God's expectations for how we are to live in fellowship with him and one another. And again, I I like, you know, going back to that image of parent and child. You know, we have, we create expectations for our child based on what we know to be, you know, the best protection for their Mm -hmm. lives. Um, And God does the same thing for us. Um, so a couple of things here. If you, Abel, were to open the Bible to any random passage and you were to start looking for God's law to be present in the Bible, what would you be looking for? So the law, I think, generally is stuff that talks about me, mm. right? It The, the reader, uh, people in yes. general, so it's focused on us. It's focused on our behavior. It's focused on what we do. And 
the things we do that either lead us to consequences that are unpleasant or consequences that are pleasant, rewards or, or things like that. That's typically how we, we see it play out, I think, in the Bible. And that can be a really terrifying thing. Sure. <laughs> because there are different places and and certainly the cumulative effect of all of them can lead you to a place where, like, oh, man, yeah. this is really hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, I'm not doing that. You know, it, it it leads you to a place of conviction. Yeah, good word. Uh, either that or it makes you really nasty because you go, oh, well, I'm doing all that, and you're not, so blah, blah. You know, so you get really self-righteous and yeah. arrogant and... But I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal no. is to show us that we aren't. And if we aren't worthy, if we aren't living up, we should probably be a little bit kinder to everybody else that's not living up too. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the basic thing. I I think God has placed these things here, as you have said, for our good, though. You know, when you tell your child not to touch the stove— because it's hot, you're saying that because it will hurt them. That's right. And I think that, uh, you know, you had said something like, you know, God's expectations for us. I think actually it's maybe better to say that this is, it is his expectations for us, but it's his expectations because he made us, and this is sort of like the way it works. Yeah. You know, you don't, take a toaster and use it as a doorstop. Uh, you don't take a toaster and use it as, uh, you know, something to heat water, right? Like you use it to heat toast. Right. You don't use it to heat water. Certainly not when you're in the bathtub. Sure. Right. That's just terrible. Uh, so, so there's a certain way that we were made and we were made – basically those two points to love god and to love people i i don't think god is up there this uh deeply needy person that's just desperate for us to love him right i mean he is but not because he's an a narcissist it's not about personal validation yeah, yeah. he i think he knows who he is but he he enjoys that because he knows it's good for us yeah he made us in a way, and we talked about this with some of the Tim Keller videos, with this sort of infinite hole in us, this infinite need for love, and it's only when we love the infinite God and his infinite love for us and recognize his infinite love for us and see it and and, and relish in it that we actually have that hole filled or begin to be sure. filled. Sure. You know, yeah, I... Um just a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a devotion on a uh, reading we had uh, one Sunday from Genesis um, that focused on the creation of Eve and what her purpose was. You know, God looked and saw that the man was alone and, and it wasn't good for him. He had companionship all around him. He had all the creatures of the world. You know, he had everything else he could possibly want or need, but something was missing. Mm-hmm. What was missing? It was that loving fellowship. That was her purpose, to help him by 
being an outlet for his love and reciprocating it. And it sort of defines the purpose of you and me and everyone we know, you know, yep. and, and the, the, the law, if, if I heard kind of where you were going with that is sort of the user manual for that. Yeah. It, I mean, when he gives the 10 commandments, God isn't, I mean, he does say this in some spots, but when you read the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, the very first thing he says is, I am the Lord your God yeah. who brought you up out of Egypt. Yeah, Like, I already saved you. I already rescued you. You're my people. Yeah. Trust right? me. Here's what my people look like. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it's... Uh, it's it's out of love, I think, and it's it's grace to say, not just love God, because if you love all these other things, these other gods, right? Right. Then you're going to be pretty empty. You're going to lead yourself into all kinds of stuff. And then loving other people, well, if you live in a society that doesn't value the people around you, that doesn't serve them, right? So, you know, honoring your father and mother, not murdering, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting even, not desiring what other people have. If you live in a world where that is running rampant, you're going to hate this place. Yeah, yeah. Your life is going to be far more miserable. So this has got to function a certain way. I I do think there is a, a functional aspect to it, yeah. Well, let's let, let's look at that a little bit, you know, and let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics of how we apply this to our lives, to our idea of the world and society. Um, you know, there's the way we talk about the law generally. Uh, we, we ascribe it to three different uses and and, and mm. functions in our lives, um, and the first kind of deals with how we think about laws in general that govern society um, that it, it, that a lot of people look at immediately as limiting our behavior, right? Um, speed limit, drinking age, voting age, stuff like that. And yeah, they do place limits on our behavior, but in the case of something like a speed limit, hopefully we mostly understand that it's there. Why? To protect us and to mm-hmm. save lives, you know? Um, so this, this kind of serves as the, what we call the first use of the law, the first function of the law, uh, the curb. Now, what does a curb do? It's that, you know, concrete border on the side of the road that yeah. I'm, when I'm driving down the road, if my car starts to veer, what's going to happen? It's going to hit that curb, right? Um, I could jump the curb if I want to. But it slows you down. But it's going to slow me down, and it's going to give me something to think about before I plow my car into McDonald's, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever happens to be right there. Um, so, uh, how does this work? I, I've made a note here of, of something. Uh, just recently, in the last month or so, the city I live in has uh, once again began to enforce speed limits on. Uh, the main highway down there by us with radar. <laughs> it says uh, apparently our population was too small for a long time for the police to use radar, and now it's it's bumped back up, and they're all excited. <laughs> so they're out there, parked out there on the highway. Um, 
And this has caused a lot of people to change the way they are driving. And the reason is universally simple. Why do we change our driving if we see a police car and a radar gun? I don't want to spend $150, $200 on a ticket. don't want to get a ticket. It's the threat of punishment, right? It more or less keeps people behaving a certain way. And I can guarantee you there's a lot of people who aren't really paying attention to how they're driving out there <laughs> on that highway. Um, <laughs> Which highway is this? I just want to make sure I'm paying attention. This is attention. the main beach highway in, in by us. So if you happen to be driving Highway 90, you know, be very cautious in that area. Um, so we call it, we call this, the idea of this kind of law a curb because that's what a curb does. It directs you in a certain direction. It it maintains your behavior in a certain way. And what makes this use of the law distinct is that what powers it principally is fear, that fear of the consequences, right? Just Mm -hmm. like you know, our child knows that he or she's going to experience punishment for breaking the household rules, the things that we're not supposed to do inside, you know, that sometimes we do. You know, God's children are made aware through his law, his commandments, um, of the negative consequences of damaging our relationships with God and with one another. Um, and so a, disca- a, a desire to escape those consequences generally more or less keeps mankind traveling in the same philosophical direction when it comes to stuff like murder and stealing the things that you mentioned earlier. Um, And, of course, you say this and a lot of people are going to, you know, whip out a newspaper and say, well, wait a minute, what about this, 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 and this? All these things just happened here last night. Well, yeah. Well, just imagine what it would be like if we didn't Right, I mean that's that's exactly right. Like even with the threat of punishment, people are still really stupid and still, (laughs) and I still do these stupid things, right? But it is, I mean, it's really if you allow yourself to think about it, it's rather amazing how to to what degree we generally accept these boundaries of behavior in our society and. Mm how nearly universal they are (laughs) among other societies and cultures, even those that have not been directly influenced by God's word. You know, uh, this is something that is in our spiritual DNA as a people, you know, and as a, as, as a race, you know, as mankind throughout the world, you know, you go to other places and you will see very much the same general thoughts about these subjects, you know, about killing and stealing and lying and these these sorts of things. Um, you know, general uh, societal moralities might shift from place to place and time to time, but more or less because we instinctively know it's in our hearts how damaging the consequences of these actions are, we tend to move in the same direction. And, and that, so that's the curb function of the law. Um, and it's very important. You know, it's, it's how society keeps from tearing itself apart and how we can, how we can continue to come together and, uh, and, and work together as a people. Um, but there has to be more to it than just fear, right? And and just that, you know, don't touch that hot stove. Um, going, uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, the idea of fear 
you know, we do use that with our kids at times, mm. usually pride and fear. Yeah. You say, oh, well, we don't lie in this family or or this is how we are in this family. And you kind of build up a sense of pride in, hey, I want to be this good thing. Well, that you help everyone... reinforce that sense of self too. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the fear like, hey, don't lie. Liars never win. Mm. Right, honesty is the best policy. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You get caught. You get consequences. So again, the fear. But one of the things Santa that, won't come. One of the interesting things that maybe isn't something we would spend a lot of time talking about now, but I I, I heard someone t- uh, preach about this, teach about this, saying that pride and fear. Although when we emphasize them and only use them as the way to get people to behave, pride and fear also would drive us to sin. <laughs> so if if we exclusively use pride and fear to get good behavior, uh, then we're going to wind up with people that are just as susceptible because it, why do you lie? Out of pride. That's right. Because I don't want you to know how it's bad a, I am. It's a completely self-serving thing. Why do I lie? I lie because I don't want to get caught. I don't want the consequences that come with lying. So, right. So that's going to be helpful later when we get into yes, maybe I, the third part here of the yeah, law the, or also That'll the, be an important distinction the there. The gospel, you yeah. Know. Um, going on, though, you know, to what we call the second use um, – and really, I think most people in our circles would argue this is really the most critical use of the law and the most important. You've already kind of referenced it, and we talked about how how this works in uh, in the Bible. I want to go back for a second to this uh, illustration of the speed limit um, thing and, and that law, right? It's a ubiquitous law for all of us you know, in our society. There's signs posted. It says, this is the law. Mm-hmm. And they post it right next to where you're going to be either obeying that law or not. <laughs> um, go again. I must live in a really dangerous area where people don't know how to drive. Um, there's a bridge that I have to cross uh, on my way to and from work every day, and the speed limit on that bridge is 10 miles per hour higher than the highway on either end. Mm. Um, and I know that because there are signs, uh, on the bridge and there are signs on the end of ends of the bridge telling you what the speed limit is about to drop down to. Now, I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about this while I'm driving, except when I reach the end of the bridge, I see that sign that says the speed limit has now changed. The law has changed, and it's something that you need to think about. So when I see that sign, what I instinctively do every time I see it is look down at my speedometer yep. to yep. see what I am doing, to, to check my behavior. And at that point, inevitably, because I'm used to driving this bridge sometimes more than once a day, what I'm going to discover is a problem with my behavior. Uh, Sometimes if I've really not been paying attention, it's a severe problem. And so... No comment. Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just me. I it's know. It's just you. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so this is essentially also how God's law works in our lives. It is a sign that allows us to check ourselves. Actually, our, our little nickname here for the second use of the law, uh, which I think is very appropriate, we call it the mirror. So what mm. does a mirror do? Well, it shows you the reality of you, right? It's, you know, not really escapable. What you, you can't alter the mirror. You can't change it. All it can do is show you the truth of who you are. Shows you when you got a little something stuck in there. When your you got teeth. a little something stuck in there. A yeah. smuts right here. Yeah, a little gray in the beard. And that person, you're <laughs> a little gray here. Yeah, yeah. You got a little bit more than me. I know, I know. I've been working harder at it. You know, and then you go, why didn't that person tell me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had yes. schmutz on my face. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a startling revelation sometimes, isn't it? You know, when you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I didn't know it was that bad you know i didn't know i had that spot on my shirt all day mm-hmm. that's embarrassing you know by knowing god's law and it how it instructs us and the boundaries that god has set for our lives by knowing and understanding these things we are now allowed new insight into our lives uh we have this opportunity here much like the speed limit sign to check our behavior but in the reflection of the law. Have I put God first in my life? You know, um, Do I use God's name in a way that always builds up his reputation? You know, uh, Do I really set aside quality time to devote to my relationship with God? Do I do that to the other people that God has put in my life? Um, so on and so forth. Um, do I have unhealthy desires? You know, all these things. So growing closer in our relationship with God's law, what it does is effectively strips away that whitewash that we like to put on our lives. And it exposes the truth of what is essentially our frequent failure to live up to those expectations, you know, that are designed to keep our relationships healthy. Um And so the mirror of the law is going to reveal to me a problem for which I essentially possess no solution on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no tied pen for the stains that I bear there. So, Yeah, and you wouldn't even know that you were a lawbreaker without the law. Exactly. If if there were just zero laws, you would have no idea that you had a need— and and then, of course, having the law also not only reveals that you have a need, but then when we see it and we go, but I don't want to do this, right? it highlights even more yeah. not only that we're lawbreakers, but that we have this inward desire to constantly just tell God where to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we want to be in charge. We don't, we don't want him to be in charge. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. That's exactly right. You know, and so even if he gives us the law and says, "Hey, if you do all this, you're good," right? We're not going to do all that. No, <laughs> we don't even want to. That you know, uh, this past Sunday, uh, the gospel reading we had is a great illustration of this. You know, it's a, 
uh, a fellow who has grown up um, very attuned to God's law in his life, and he's been taught just do this, do this, and he's been taught the importance of it. And so that's kind of how he tries to live his life, you know. And he comes up to Jesus, and he says, "What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What's the next thing mm. that I can put on my checklist here to to win eternal life?" And Jesus. And Mark, you know, this is from Mark's gospel, and Mark tells us that Jesus looks on this guy with love and and wants to really kind of guide him along and help him. And so he tells him, look, you know, you've got plenty of money. You've got plenty of valuables. Go sell all of it and, and give away all the resources and help the poor and the needy. And the guy walks away hanging his head because he's not going to do that. You know, um, and, and Jesus is pointing out to him here. This is very much a mirror of the law thing. You know, you've you're, you're trying to put all your eggs in this basket of of being loyal and faithful to God when there's always one more thing. You know, and there's always one more way that we're going to cling to something that we shouldn't. You know, or or drop the ball in some way. So, what do you do with that? How does that help you? In any way, how does this knowledge help you? Well, um, as I mentioned when I started this, I said we often describe this as kind of the most important of the three uses of the law. And the reason is we're shown where we stand with God in terms of our behavior, and this we have this problem, right? Well, that insight should send us looking for a solution. And that's what God is there for. His intention is always that we go to him for a solution, that we live in hope of his help and his mercy. And so the mirror leads us to the promise of forgiveness, not the excuse of what we have done, but the forgiveness that we find in Jesus, that Mm. he has lifted this burden from us, right? Um, and this is, you know, we're talking about these principles of how we take something out of the Bible, how we open God's Word and hear what He's saying to us. And there, I, I, you know, today we're we're talking about the uh, the law and how it speaks to us. The other side of that coin is what we call the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, to distinguish the two, you talked about how the law is always focused on us and pointing at us and. And the action is always on our behavior. Well, the gospel flips that around and points it to God's solution to our problem. Yeah. And that is the grace and forgiveness that we win or that is won for us in Jesus. Um, and that's something, you know, we'll we'll come back to after we, you know, finish our discussion of the law, maybe the next episode here. Um, but ultimately, the mirror is what points us toward that. So, yeah. We see we have this problem. We see that the solution is not within our own grasp. It sends us to God saying, God, you know, what else is there <laughs> besides my problem? You say, if I do all this, I'm good. I'm in. And I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing all those things. I'm not in. I can't possibly be in. Exactly. So where does that what do we do me? about that? Yeah. But it also points us to Jesus, too, in the sense that Jesus is the one who does it all. Yes. So 
because he did it all, we know he gets the blessing. Yeah. So if he gets the blessing and he dies, then what's that all about? Well, well, it had to be for a purpose, right? We are terrible, and we need help desperately, and we get his blessing. He was perfect, earned the blessing, got the curse. Got the punishment, right. To give us yeah. the blessing. It's, it's, so. the, it's the perfect exchange. Um, yes. And, and we receive the good news, that's what the word gospel means, the good news of that gift of release and freedom from fear of the punishment, mm-hmm. right? We, ha- we live now in hope for the future, knowing that there is a place for us in God's family, that we're welcomed there uh, despite you know, all the baggage we've been dragging around that Jesus has taken from us. So we have this great gift now. So, great. We're done, I guess. We can just coast the rest of our lives uh, on the promise of Jesus and not really stress about, you know, what kind of life that's supposed to be. (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, how does Paul say it in Romans 6? Uh, You know, if it's all about grace, should we continue in sin? Yeah, just just do what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What... What kind of uh, response to God is warranted by this gift that we receive? You know, um, so we said earlier that a parent's responsibility to a child is to set those boundaries, and when they're transgressed, to instruct and correct, right? Which God does, and then respond with love and forgiveness, which is what our Father does for us. Uh, so his gospel gives us this promise of mercy. God responds as the perfectly loving parent, you know, the kind that you and I, you know, fancy ourselves to be, but we know better. Um, <laughs> so what does this do for our perspective on our standing with God and our place in his family? Um, knowing that we have this gift means accepting this love and returning to returning it to God with the best of our ability, right? How we go about living a life that honors the gift that we have and serving God within the parameters of those relational boundaries that we have. So we want to live a life that honors God, uh, honors the gift that we've received from him, honors the love and the forgiveness that we've received. How do you do that? How do you live that life that says thank you to God and, and shines with the gifts that he gives you? Mm-hmm. Surely there must be some kind of guide that he provides for us for living that life. Well, of course, and it's built right into the law, isn't it? You know, And this third use, uh, we say it's the guide. This is how we go about um, living a, a joyful life of loving the way we have been loved. You know, and uh, the you know the apostle John says this in his first epistle beautifully. He talks about how God is love, and all that God pours out is love, and all we receive from God is love. And so, if we know that we are loved, then we will be loving creatures. Mm. Sort of a paraphrase there. So um, we have a guide now in the law for how to honor God with that gift. Now, you could make the point that, well, that sounds an awful lot like the first use of the law. 
right? The, the, the curb, you know, we have a list of rules to follow there um, that show yeah. us, you know, what's expected of our relationships. What's so different about the guide? Well, what's different is the battery. You know, we said what powers the curb is fear, fear of the consequences. What powers the guide is love and joy and hope in what we have received. It, it's a whole different other way of, of living. You know, we, we keep mentioning uh, Tim Keller. I remember in one of his videos that we discussed, um, he talked about, I think it was the subject of freedom. And he talked about his relationship with his wife, you know, and how in his relationship with her there are freedoms that he has and freedoms he willingly gives up. Uh, he can't just, you know, hop on a plane and go on a trip without telling someone. You know, you don't, <laughs> you know that's not how you manage a, a healthy marriage. Uh, but he gives up those freedoms. He, he steers his behavior with her in mind first because he loves the relationship that he receives from her. He wants to honor that, and so that guides and steers his behavior. This is essentially the exact same thing. You know, the, the, yeah. the guide works the same way. There, there are actually a lot of Lutherans that would debate whether there is a third use of the law. Oh, yes, I've heard that debate. And... I under I guess uh, just to put it out there, I think they have a fair point in this sense. I, I think what they're wrestling with is that basically when you tell people what to do, we as human beings almost always internalize it as a requirement. Right. And that our identity, our acceptance into the family, into God's kingdom or whatever, is somehow contingent upon it. Uh, but I would say that that means that we haven't quite fully understood the gospel. I think so. I because think that's exactly right. The, the way you put it is great. It's that battery. It's the thing that powers it that should change. But the reality is also not just that, hey, well, we don't understand it. It's that actually our whole lives we will struggle with wanting to please God, perhaps understanding it right, and then recognizing how far we fall short. And so there's always this kind of uh, tendency to, to slide back into essentially it's the curb, right? So right. We failed. We're screwed. God doesn't love us. There's no way he'll let us in. Uh, th there's also people that will talk about, and you didn't do that, and so I'm actually, I appreciate it, but there are people that will talk about this part of it, the guide, and will say, this is the evidence of salvation. Oh. And they're not yeah. Lutherans usually, but they talk about that, and then so you you have people that are going around going, well, where's the evidence? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't have. Do I have enough evidence? Yeah, and then it becomes one again. And it's a fear it's thing. The curve. Again. Yeah, it's yeah. all over again. And so, yeah. so that's where this next part that we'll talk about next time is so crucial. Basically, everything we read in the Bible will sort of sort itself into things that make us feel like we're reading either law or gospel. It's things that are going to accuse us. 
things that are going to make us feel bad about ourselves, that are right. going to make us look inward uh, at our behavior, wonder if we measure up, and then the gospel takes us from looking at ourselves and gets us looking up at Jesus and, that and going, oh. Makes all the difference in the world. He did it all. Yeah. And, and there is something about taking the pressure off that actually helps you do things far better. Uh, there are times, you know, if you, if you practice something a thousand times in private, it's never the same as when you stand up in front of a bunch of people and try to do it. Well, you're right. You know, it, it's just the, the pressure is on. But when you're in front of a group of people where there doesn't seem to be as much pressure, you know, I noticed this a few years ago when, like, the holidays, mm. you know, we I should, there was once, I think it was a Christmas Eve, we had a, a preschool, and we'd been trying to get this sort of, preschool service where the kids would play their bells and sing some songs and and all that kind of stuff and try and get the families to come to church. And one year it just finally like exploded and there were like 300 and something people packed in to this tiny little sanctuary, more people at that service than at the other two that would be later on. And I just remember like, you know, the dry mouth thing. You're like, oh, my goodness. Am I and you're, like, stumbling over yourself. Like, you're all nervous. I was still kind of young in ministry, too. Sure. Uh, and then after that service, when the pressure was off and it was all the people that I knew, it was so much easier. Oh, it's a joy. To deliver the service. Sure, to, it's to a do joy. The service That's to, exactly right. You know, it, 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 it gives you the freedom to uh, behave with hope mm. you know and and, it, and it's a, an amazing thing you used an interesting word a moment ago you talked about the law's accusation you know and, and law that's, semper uh, yeah. what's the latin for it <laughs> your latin's better than mine um but you know we something else that we talked about with the second use of the law is it's um what we call conviction you know so we have the accusation of the law that you have failed to do this or you have done this, you've transgressed this boundary. And that is conviction, right? The knowledge that comes over me now, this feeling that I, I, oh no, (laughs) Mm. I have this problem and it's real. Um, A lot of people I find talk, when they talk about that, um, tend to use or tend to lean on the word guilt, do you think yep. that's the same thing as guilt? Accusation and guilt? Con- uh, conviction and conviction. guilt. Conviction. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, they're, they're clearly related. I think they are. But I think guilt, when we use that, we're typically meaning it in a way that I... It's more like shame. Yes. Even though those are different words. You know, so guilt, I've heard you, uh, you know, explain this way. Like guilt is I did something wrong and shame is I am wrong. You know, like I am bad. I did bad. I am bad. Uh, You know, sort of like an identity issue more than anything else. Yeah. Conviction, guilt, uh, there is... 
there's got to be some overlap. I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about that. I think that. they're related. Um, I tend to think of guilt, and I like that you brought up shame um, and the relationship between those things. I tend to think of guilt more as an inwardly focused thing, uh, whereas guilt is something I'm likely to drown in that I can't find my way out of, whereas conviction, where if I let the law lead me with conviction, it will take me to the solution. You know, um, I, I, I think conviction tends to be recognizing my inward problem, uh, but in the light of a potential solution. I could see that. So, like, guilt tends to be something that persists with people. Yes. And conviction is, oh, it got my attention. It's a part of the journey. Yeah. And I'm I'm listening. Yeah. And I I need some kind of solution. So right. maybe I, I you know, maybe That's, a more biblical I phrase. I don't know how know. satisfying an answer that is, but it's something I've just been curious about. So. Yeah. And honestly, this whole law stuff, people have been wrestling with this for a really long time. I love how we have it as, you know, Lutheran trained uh, pastors. And and Lutheran cha- uh, trained lay people have this sure. curb mirror guide thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot more helpful than what a lot of other folks have. I threw this out in a uh, Bible study class, I think two weeks ago, my midweek class, and um, I I know, I know I've taught this to some of the people in there, but of course, you know, we talked about how things don't always stick. But I mean. I actually saw people taking notes as I was putting this up on the board because it just it's it's a well organized approach to understanding how this impacts our lives and I think that's a very helpful thing to people. Yeah. And I think the whole three parts here ultimately the way we've talked about it and the way we you know we've we're talking about it because this yeah. is how we've learned it we are uh, benefiting from years, generations of uh, theological insight, I think it all helps us come to at least this much, that the law doesn't save us. Yeah. It's not our hope. The law is not the number one thing to take away from the Bible. That's right. It has a purpose. It has a function. It has more than one function. God's word can't function without it. But it's not the big takeaway. And I think even Lutherans who have this treasure, but lots of other Christians, the way we behave and the way we speak (laughs) typically emphasizes this. And I would would say – I say this because it's an endless struggle. It absolutely is. We are fallen people who need the law, and we are fallen people who will always resist the law, but we're we're fallen people who will also willingly use the law when it comes to everybody else. <laughs> I don't remember where I heard this, but someone once said, we are great at preaching the gospel and gossiping about the law. Hmm. And, and I think that was a great summation of how often Christians – deal with this question that way because it's the gospel is such a, a warm blanket you know that we want to envelop us um, 
and the law is uh, something dangerous that we feel we're better off pointing at someone else, you know, yeah. than dealing with ourselves. So. Yeah, Jesus talked about that. A lot. Kind of a lot. He was yeah. not a fan of hypocrites. Nope. Although we're all hypocrites. Yeah. If if we even try to talk about the law in, in some respects, right? We just talked about how we're not going to do this. My, so. old, my old mentor used to say his uh, his line when people said they don't come to church because it's full of hypocrites is, Always room for one more. <laughs> gonna have to remember That's that. a good one. Yeah. I heard another one uh, recently. It was, well, you know, Walmart's full of hypocrites and you keep going there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, that's very true. Yeah. You know, so, so what, what makes us so different? Well, yeah, why? I don't yeah. get it. You know. And we have donuts. We have donuts. <laughs> or ice cream in some cases. Free donuts, ice cream, coffee. That's right. Uh, the coffee I hear is not usually very good in churches. <sighs> Maybe why I don't drink coffee. That's, maybe <laughs> I, need, church maybe I need to stop making it. Ah, so. maybe, maybe. Well, hey, great to chat with you. Yeah, love I know being here. you've got some uh, stuff to do here today, and as do I. But always good to to chat with you and uh, talk about the law, but not emphasizing the law. That's right. We'll emphasize what comes next time. We got to figure out a way to make that the exclamation yeah. point. Yeah on on this conversation here so but until then great to be with you love being here god bless you i hope this has been helpful like share subscribe all those wonderful things and hope to catch up with you later bye-bye